when Stephen and I started talking a couple of months ago about uh, my getting to preach uh, again, we talked it through, and I thought I was maybe going to be following right on the heels of his uh, sermon series in Corinthians and picking right up uh, with one of Paul's other letters. And then when I realized uh, I was going to be in the middle of Jonah, I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> is he going to want me to cover one of the uh, sermons of Jonah? He said, no, 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 the world's wide open. <laughs> you, you go, and that's, I mean, that's, that's tough there. So how am I going to bring something that's, that God has put on my heart in, in the story of Jonah? And I, I don't always, uh, yeah, I do myself in Jonah. I run away a lot. And the story of this compassionate God is woven through all stories and is woven throughout his word. So looking uh, today uh, at, at a compassionate God and his love for his people. We're going to turn into uh, the book of Philippians in a few minutes. Uh, but, you know, uh, before, the, uh, before everything was electronic, when before email seemed like a long, wordy uh, form of communication, uh, when, when everything's either a direct message or, or a, 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 a tweet out to someone or, or a Facebook message or something like that, uh, people wrote letters. It might seem a little bit uh, old-fashioned or, or anachronistic now when you've got so many other forms of communication, but when you could sit down and write what you really want to express to your reader or readers or, or the person receiving that letter, you could just lay it all out. And you can go back and, and rewrite it and everything, and we sometimes forget that with uh, electronic communications. But you could pour your heart out. Uh, you, I mean, whether a letter, letter of sympathy or encouragement or guidance. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote over a dozen letters. And we have those in, in what we see as the New Testament here. And there are some long, deeply theological letters to, to the church at Rome, uh, to, to the church at Corinth and a couple of letters, and then Stephen walked us through in a, in a brief window through those, uh, that letter to the church at Corinth. Some of Paul's letters are to uh, young preachers, uh, Timothy and Titus and, and leaders like Philemon and, and uh, those, those pastoral epistles or letters. In there, we've got a, a, uh, like four shorter letters to churches that Paul loved dearly and loved deeply. Churches that, that he had had a hand in, in planting in these cities as he went on his missionary journeys. Some of these letters are, are to guide. Some of them are to correct. Calling people out by name sometimes. And I mean, for, for good or for, for bad. I mean, can you imagine, I mean, being called out by name in, a, in the greatest book of all time, the most published, most interpreted book? Your name's there. Uh, sometimes it is, a, uh, uh, I mean, an exhortation. I strongly urge you to do this. Like those, uh, a, a parent or grandparent or, or a teacher or someone, I strongly urge you to consider what you're doing. Um, it could be a thank you letter. And, and the book of Philippians is a thank you letter. 
this, this church at Philippi has supported Paul in his ministry. They were one of the, the first to give financially uh, to his ministry, and they're continuing to do so. And, and when he writes this letter, they have sent a, a helpmate to him, a young guy named Epaphroditus, um, someone who, who bears gifts to him to sustain him. Paul's writing from prison when he writes this. He's four to five years into a series of, of imprisonments from Caesarea up to Rome. So, I mean, he's, he's feeling a little down. But this is also a letter of joy and encouragement. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a, a friend, and, and I don't see Pam here today, but when I told her that I was going to be sharing from Philippians, she said, oh, that is a book of joy. I said, yeah, but encouragement. And she said, it's a book of joy. I said, yes. Yeah. So, and Paul expresses his joy throughout that book. He, uh, I mean, this is a, a letter in, uh, to the Christians at uh, Philippi, to a people that he truly loves. He does call them my joy and my crown. Uh, we, uh, we remember that, uh, I mean, this is a city that Paul is very familiar with. This is the uh, first church plant or the first uh, site of his evangelism on that second missionary journey with the first church plant in Europe. Paul had wanted to uh, go to other parts of Asia Minor, uh, now Turkey. He had wanted to uh, uh, go to some of the other great cities there in Asia Minor. And then he, he God sort of closed those doors and said no. And Paul looked another direction and, and said, well, maybe I need to go here and, and uh, Bithynia. And God's like, no. So uh, God sends a, a word to Paul in, in the form of a, a dream of a man wearing the garb of Macedonia, modern-day Greece, and, and Paul would have recognized that whether style of dress or the language or, or just uh, something there that Paul recognized what it was. And, and this Macedonian in, in Paul's dream was like beckoning, saying, come help us. So Paul set sail from, from Turkey up into uh, Philippi, up into uh, Macedonia there, and that, that city that he came to. Uh, first was Philippi. And we, we know from the, the book of Acts, some of the, uh, I mean, some of those first encounters there in Philippi. Not finding a synagogue to go worship in and, and looking for a place of prayer. He sees a group of women down by the river and they're, they're in prayer. And he stops. And, and that's remarkable in itself that he just didn't walk on by, but he, he walked down to that riverside to, to see what they were doing, and he got to meet Lydia and the others there, and, and it says that she was a woman who loved God. And he shares Jesus with them and talks to them and, and brings her to a relationship with Christ and, and goes to her household, and she becomes a believer in all of her household. And it says on, on another day on their way to, uh, to that place of prayer that they run into a, a, a young slave girl who's possessed by a demon. And it is a little bit confrontational there. And, and, and Paul 
calls upon the power of the Holy Spirit, cast that demon out. And that sets into motion some, some conflict and confrontation with those who own this slave girl. And because their economic uh, uh, resource had, had, uh, had a heart change and had this uh, demon cast out, that they, uh, they uh, take Paul and he's with Silas and Timothy um, and they, they uh, confront them. They turn them over to the uh, uh, authorities there saying that these people are impacting our livelihood. And that's where we, we see Paul and Silas in, in jail that first time there in Philippi. And in the midst of, of having been beaten and mistreated, uh, being locked up in this strange city and not being able to, to, to do what they've been called to do. What are they doing? They are singing and praising God. And I can see this all night long as we read this, that they're singing and praising God. And God says, I'm about to rock your world. And God sends an earthquake and uh, breaks down the doors of that, that jail. Instead of fleeing like, like many uh, uh, people might do, uh, Paul and Silas and, and those that were with them hang tight. And the, the jailer is just fearful for his life. And Paul says, rest. Be assured we're still here. So this, this Philippian jailer in, in, in gratitude takes Paul and Silas to his home and says, tell me your story. And they lead him to Christ. Tell him that, that story of who Jesus is and he and his household. So this, uh, that's the, the backstory of that church at Philippi. So several years later, when Paul has, has uh, returned to Jerusalem another time and, and gone out on, on uh, yet another missionary journey, and we know that that conflict arises and, and Paul has, has had conflict with, with the Jewish authorities and civil authorities there in, in Jerusalem and has been arrested there um, and thrown in jail. Um, he writes this letter to the Philippians, one, to thank them for their generosity, uh, to encourage them. And this is a letter of encouragement, and that's one of the things I want us to look at today. Um, but it's also a letter of joy. We know that's one of the uh, major themes of this letter, despite the fact that Paul is writing from prison, writing from, from that, uh, that, that prison in Rome where he's been taken. He's writing this, this uh, letter that in spite of everything that's happened, he is joyful. And, and in fact, because of what he has gone through, because of the example that Paul has set in, in all the, uh, the persecution and the persistence that, that he has shown and his current situation, that, that others have found even greater confidence and trust in God. They found it much more boldness and courage to, it, it says in uh, chapter 1, verse 15, to speak the word of the Lord without fear. That because of what he's gone through and his example, that others have been encouraged and there are others who, uh, who have taken advantage of the fact that Paul is put in prison. And, and he says, uh, you know what? They're, they're preaching out of envy and uh, strife and, and selfish ambition. They're preaching out of that. They're, they're, the fact that I'm sidelined here. 
But you know what he says? Even then, even in this, Christ is being proclaimed. That's verse 18 in chapter 1. Even in this, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul, to the uh, earlier there in chapter 1, he says that he thanks God for the Philippians, uh, for them, with joy because of their partnership with him in the gospel. And that is key here, that the gospel that they were partnering. They were participating right beside him in Philippi from his first work there. So we can see that uh, throughout this letter that Paul finds joy in this body of believers. He's got a personal motivation for writing this letter to his fellow believers. And we can see this as a letter of encouragement to, to find joy even in the midst of persecution and suffering. Uh, to honor Christ in all things, to conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel, to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together side by side for the faith in the gospel, to have the mind of Christ, to be unified in Christ, having unity in the gospel and being united together. This is that idea of uh, being united together that he's encouraging to have for the sake of the gospel. And that's what I want us to focus on today. In, in just four short verses at the beginning of chapter 2, and we'll look at those, uh, they contain in these four short verses a volume on our internal unity. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Father, we thank you for the chance to uh, dive into your word. And Lord, just a few words just open up a volume of, of encouragement and urging a, a lifestyle from you. Father, we thank you. I pray that uh, your word will speak today, that you will open eyes and ears and hearts to your teaching today. Father, we love you and thank you uh, for this example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the uh, there's uh, three good sections here in these, these four verses. We've got the, uh, the wherefore of unity. That's a big, big word, and I mean, Stephen often points out the wherefores, and, and we say, well, what is that fair, wherefore, therefore? And, and I almost started to say the why, but there's another why later on, but, but the wherefore of unity, the, the basis or the reason for that unity. Uh, Paul gives us in the second verse the, the why of unity. And, and, and that's the only command in this, uh, uh, given in this passage. 
uh, this imperative, uh, the why we should be unified, and then, and then the how, what it should look like in our lives and in our church family, in our church body here. So the wherefore, picking up in there in uh, verse 1, uh, you know, in each of these, that in, in many translations, it says if. It's not really a question there. It's, it's, it could be read as uh, since, since there is these things, or because there is. It's, it's uh, taken as a, I say, taken as a granted there. And Paul writes there in that verse 1, so... If there's any encouragement in Christ, this, uh, I, mean, I mean, we're in his presence. If we receive any encouragement by being partnered with Christ, by being called his own. Um, I told Stephen I was going to, I uh, had a couple of uh, Greek words in there, and, and I think he saw some thin ice there. He said, uh, not just pronunciation there, but uh, this, that encouragement is paraclesis. And it's a, a to, to call near or to come along. When you think of someone that you truly love and respect and that you've learned uh, much from, when they, when they come up next to you and walk with you, walk you through something, that's that encouragement, that idea of, of, of coming near. Be encouraged that we are Christ's. If there's any comfort in love, uh, this is a, a uh, similar to uh, encouragement, but we receive comfort and consoling from Christ's presence. Uh, another Greek word, uh, paramythion. And this is a, a, a consolation from soothing words. And Paul writes it there, if there's any comfort and love. I mean, how comfortable to abide in him. We look at, I mean, in John's gospel, abide in Christ. How comforting to find rest from our fruitless labors and our, our striving and our burdens, Matthew writes. Find rest in me. So we have that consoling soothing words. Uh, we find consolation in God's words. Then he says, if there's any participation in the Spirit. Uh, this is a partnership or fellowship, a, a uniting in, in, as brothers and sisters uh, for a purpose. And it comes from this idea of koinonia, of, of uh, fellowship, sharing in common there. We are united we're strengthened, uh, we're led by. Uh, one of the translations uh, is uh, talking about a, a woven together and, and working together there. Finishes up verse 1 with said, any affection and sympathy. And this is compassion, a, a soothing of the heart, a consoling of the heart. Uh, God's love and mercy and tenderness there. So that verse 1, uh, if there's any encouragement, I mean, since there is encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, the why in verse 2, complete 
my joy. In some translations, make my joy complete. Uh, Paul finds joy in this church at Philippi. I mean, as a, as a, as a pastoral figure there, the success, the joy, the unity, the strength, the effectiveness of that church brings joy to the pastor. Where the pastor one day can, can present that church to God and say, oh, they brought me joy. They are yours. So the why there. Uh, the, the, it's tied to his desire for their unity of purpose. So and then the how. Picking up there in the second part of uh, verse 2. He says, so he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That, uh, that idea of being of a mind is an attitude or a purpose. Have the same attitude among you. Uh, we saw in his letter to the Corinthians where he talked about that we are many different members, like body parts, but put together for a purpose, for one purpose, to love and serve and worship God. Having the same love, and this is that idea that, that because God first loved us, we should love others. So having the same sacrificial love to each other because he first loved us. Being of full accord and of one mind. Uh, the New American Standard says united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And this is that idea of uh, uh, being knit together in harmony, being of one accord. We saw early in the Acts, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, what a church of one accord could accomplish. A church with one great purpose there. We turn to verse 3 here. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Um, he talks about selfish ambition or, or, or conceit, a, a vain conceit. Paul's reminding them to, uh, to check their motives. He had talked earlier about some, uh, some preachers who were preaching uh, for vain conceit, uh, sometimes said to hear themselves talk or, or to, uh, for their own glory. And Paul's reminding them that it, it, everything we do is not for our glory. It's for God's glory. Uh, not for personal glory, which leads back to selfish ambition and, and doing things that, that are for our best or, or for our, solely our gain. Um, but for God's glory. Whose glory are we working for? That of Christ or our own, he asked them. Strife comes from that pride. And this is, I mean, that, that reminder that Paul is encouraging them to find that unity, to work together. Your purpose is not going to be filled by struggling against each other and fighting against each other. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We turn to this beautiful picture, this great characteristic or character trait of humility there in, in 
the second part of verse 3, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. If we uh, uh, wanted a, a concept that was upside down from the culture that was around them, it was humility. The, the people of Philippi, uh, and, and not necessarily the church there, but the people of Philippi had a, had a lot to be proud about. Uh, they were a, a Roman colony up here in, in the outskirts of, of Macedonia that through a series of conflicts and, and, and changes in the Roman Republic to an empire and all that, that this church, or excuse me, this city of Philippi had, had become a Roman city far away from Rome. And they took pride in that. There were a lot of uh, citizens from, from uh, the empire who were up there in that area. And, and this idea of humility would have gone counter to the ethos of the Greek people. That humility was, was something affiliated with slaves, those who were unworthy, those who were low, the position of a slave, shabby, not worthy of, of attention even. And yet Paul is telling these believers to take on this spirit of humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Not that we discount ourselves or, or don't pay attention to ourselves. Um, but this is the opposite of entitlement, of of that it's about me and what's good for me and what I like. And he's telling these, uh, these brothers and sisters in Christ to remember others. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Look to their needs. And he's going to pick that back up in, in verse 4. Uh, but he's telling them here to stay humble. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And that is an idea that is beautifully upside down from the culture that's around them. In verse 4, he tells us to not only look to our own interests, but to others. Uh, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Uh, he's uh, writing them to, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. As Jesus says in, in Matthew, uh, as like you, I mean, John Piper puts it this way. He says that, that the word interest might be a, a filler. So if you're looking to others, uh, to your own interests, look to others just as much. And he says it's, it's open-ended. It, uh, the only thing that's specified is your own interest or, or something, uh, the other's interest or, or something. So, so not only uh, look to your own financial health, but be concerned about others' financial health uh, in your church body. Don't only worry about your next meal. Be concerned with, with your brothers and sisters' next meal. Don't only look towards your own emotional health, but have a deep concern for the other's emotional health. As much as God loved you, love others 
love your neighbor as yourself. And in uh, Romans uh, chapter 15, he's, uh, the first couple of verses he says, but, but we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Not only worried about our, ourselves, but, but others as well. Ed, to the uh, church at uh, Galatia, uh, another uh, small church, and in chapter 6, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill that law of Christ. The law of Christ uh, was to love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we should be watching to see what God is doing in our brothers and sisters in Christ, looking for the good qualities of others, seeing where God is working, and, and celebrating that, finding joy in that, and, and also saying, God, prepare me for something too. We should uh, also look out for the interest of others, and, and that builds and maintains that unity that Paul is looking for. Um, in the very next passage, uh, beginning in verse 5, and, and we're, gonna fo we're just focusing on those first four, because verse 5 just opens up a whole nother sermon series in there. But he says in verse 5, he gives us that, that model of humility in Christ. And in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Uh, we also say, have the mind of Christ. Uh, see the world through, through the heart-guided thinking of Christ. Now this brings us back to... Uh, the great unifier of his people and what, what, what Paul is focusing on and what permeates his whole uh, letter, that gospel message of Jesus Christ. While uh, uh, we rightly focus on the example of Jesus' humility and imitate his character, we also have uh, his death and resurrection. Verses 6 through 11 uh, talk about uh, that great gospel message of, of Jesus. Uh, his life example, uh, his death and resurrection. And this is central to the gospel message that Paul tells us to strive together for. Paul sees unity in, in us having a, a, a single sense of purpose in everything that we do. However different we are, however differently we're gifted, or what abilities and talents, uh, whatever role we serve, it's that gospel message of Christ that unifies us as a church body. And that's what Paul is, is encouraging that church. And perhaps it's that gospel message that you uh, need to respond to today. This, uh, uh, the truth that None of us is good enough or worthy enough uh, that nothing we have is enough to pay that penalty of sin uh, that we all owe. We all need that Savior. We all need that Redeemer. Uh, 
John's gospel says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, we have a Redeemer. We have a Savior. That gives us a, a sense of unity. If you're a, a, if you're a believer, if you're part of a family of God, especially this family of God that, that's hearing today, uh, what's our response here? We are encouraged to press in. Uh, do I need to check my motivations? Am I acting out of a, a selfish ambition or, or, or vain conceits? What is motivating me to, to do what I am trying to do? Uh, do I need to step in closer to our brother and sister in Christ? Do I need to spend time with them to see where God is working in their lives and, and encourage them in that and, and be encouraged by that and take joy in what God is doing in their lives because God is being made known through them? Do I need to uh, uh, grow in humility? I mean, do I need to follow Christ's example? Do we desire to continually grow? Is it our aim to live humbly, orientated to God, focused on others for God's glory? One of the questions here, I mean, how would it impact our church if everyone faithfully lived out verses 3 and 4 there of this letter to the Philippians? Let it be our prayer and our focus to let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That, that first chapter of, of Philippians, verse 27, Paul guides them in that, that question or that, that, uh, that exhortation there. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That is what we're to be about. Uh, striving side by side in the faith of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you uh, for Paul encouraging us, uh, telling us, urging us to stand by, side by side, working side by side together. Father, we thank you uh, that we can look at the life and example of Jesus Christ. Father, that we can see how he humbly lived. Father, humility and love to the point of, of the cross. Father, we, we thank you that in that, that uh, 
payment of our debt, we have the opportunity to be your children, your family. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that we worship a risen Savior who defeated death. Father, guide us, uh, encourage us, let us find joy in each other and working together and striving together and woven together as church family. Father, call to our hearts, and we thank you today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond.